I've never recorded any of my books before. This is the first time. And because I'd done a few podcasts, I thought, well, I can do this. I hope the book offers anyone in need of encouragement a sense that they have a role to play. I can't describe recording this audiobook in one word because there's so many words in my mind. Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet journalist Joe Nocera, poet and educator Tracy K. Smith, and assistant professor of design studies Leslie Ann Noel. Tune in to hear about each of these authors' experiences in the recording booth and what they hope listeners will learn from their books. Enjoy! Hi, I'm Joan Osira, the co-author of The Big Fail. After the 2008 financial crisis, Bethany McLean and I got together and wrote a book about it. It was called All the Devils Are Here. It was one of the high points of my career, and I hope it's one of the high points of hers, too. I thought it was a good book, and it did pretty well, and it said a lot of important things, I would say. So a few months into COVID-19, she and I got to talking, and we decided we wanted to bring the band back. So we went to our editor at Portfolio, who edited All the Devils Are Here, and we told him that we wanted to write a book that was as definitive as possible about COVID. And he said, go for it. I've never recorded any of my books before. This is the first time. And because I'd done a few podcasts, I thought, well, I can do this. And I talked Bethany into it as well. And I really enjoyed the process. What was surprising to me was how often I stumbled over my own words. And also, how often I saw things and thought to myself, God, I wish I could change that, just change that word a little bit. But I couldn't. I hope you don't notice. One of the heroes of our book is Jay Bhattacharya. I had never pronounced his name. I had called him on the phone. We'd had numerous conversations. (laughs) He gave me a great deal of his wisdom. I read about him in the newspapers. I wrote about him a million times in the book. And I realized the first time I had to say his name on the audio book, I had absolutely no idea how to pronounce it. So it took a while. I'm excited for listeners to hear my Rhode Island accent, to tell you the truth, and I hope they can understand all the words as I pronounce them in the way we do in Little Rhodey. I have two chapters that I'm really fond of in terms of reading them out loud. One is the chapter about Vietnam, just because it's such a rollicking good story about a guy who goes to Vietnam trying to claw back money that had been stolen. It's a terrific story. And the second one is the chapter about the efficacy of lockdowns and school closings. I just feel so strongly about that chapter and about those issues. I think that chapter makes important points that I really hope I was able to stress in my reading of them. My dirty little secret is I did not prepare to read my own book because it was my own book, so I didn't feel like I needed to read it over. In retrospect, I wish I had. I think I could have saved myself and my editor a whole lot of time and trouble. If I were going to have somebody record my audiobook, I think I'd try to get Frank Sinatra. I know he's dead, 
But what a voice. The last audiobook I listened to was And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. Now, I happen to think the way to read Agatha Christie is to listen to her. I live in Upper Manhattan, which means that to get to Midtown to go to work, I have to be in a subway for about a half hour. It is the perfect place to listen to an audiobook. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. On April 8, 2020, the Chinese government lifted its lockdown of Wuhan. It had lasted 76 days, two and a half months during which no one was allowed to leave this industrial city of 11 million people. Public transportation was shut down, as were the major highways. Parks were closed. People were expected to stay in their homes unless they had urgent business, such as grocery shopping or going to the hospital. When they did go outside, they were expected to keep their distance from others. Hi, this is Tracy K. Smith, author of To Free the Captives, A Plea for the American Soul. I wrote this book because I have begun to feel more and more that history is in the periphery or right beside me. And for a long time, that terrified me. It made me feel like we as a culture are being pulled backward. Then I started to think, but there are people in history who can help me deal with the fact that some of the conflicts I might have grown up believing were resolved are actually still in need of work, in need of insight and commitment. And so this book helped me feel like I could talk to my ancestors. I mean, at this point in my life, my parents are also my ancestors. But I wanted to gather around them the people who taught them and the people who gave them a sense that they could keep going, that they, in their living, could manifest a kind of possibility for themselves, for their children, and then maybe even for a wider community that they may not even live to see. And beyond the community of family or ancestry, I hope the book offers anyone in need of encouragement a sense that they have a role to play in the unfolding history that we're building right now, and that they and I, and you, and anyone who may not see themselves as kin actually have work to do together. If I had to describe what it was like to record this audiobook in one word, I would say joy. Yes, it's a lot of work to voice all the text, but I felt the work coming not only back to me, but into and through me. It's one thing to sit down over time and think and listen and write, but to bring those words physically into your own mouth, into your breath, and to stand in a room where you can hear and feel what they sound like and what music or possibility or energy they create is something I wouldn't ordinarily find myself doing, but it's really helpful. It makes me feel like the book, which I always imagine is its own entity, is someone that I can sit with and learn from, or at the very least, talk to. In reading this book aloud, I realized I had trouble pronouncing the word naivete. I think all my life I've always heard and seen it as naivete. 
So that was something that I had to go back and relearn. I also realized there are a lot of really ordinary words that I had a hard time straightening up in my mouth. So one word is precarity. And I think in, you know, kind of lazy speech, I would always say precarity, precarity. But those are the kinds of things that make it hard to follow and grasp a statement in an audiobook. I'm excited that listeners will get to hear me read what to my ear is both prose and poetry in one book. And part of the reason for that is that there actually are moments where the prose breaks into poems or excerpts of songs. But the other reason I say that is because composing this book, perhaps more than any other book that I've written, had to do with listening to language, the sound of language, the rhythmic patterns of language, and not only listening to the words that I was conscious of wanting to say, but also listening for help (laughs) from some of the ancestors that I'm writing about. I remember sitting in my home and asking my grandmother, Mama Rose, what do you want me to say? And I really do believe that she and others led me down paths of thought and memory that I would never have brought consciously to a book of this kind, digressions that opened up new kinds of discoveries and new forms of insistence for me. And I hope there's music enough in the text that gives you a feeling of that heartbeat and that pulse of that other breath. If I were going to ask another person to read the book, I think I would actually ask a couple of people, and I would have to perform a miracle in order to make that possible. But I would love it if my mother and father could read this book. I would especially love to hear my father, what I imagine my father's life and growing up to have been like. I would love to hear his voice underneath those words. I would love to hear my mother coming back from the other side to talk about what it feels like to communicate with her from the other side. I prepared for recording the audiobook in a counterintuitive way. I didn't reread the book. I spent so long reading only this book over and over again, poring over for places where revision would be necessary, and then pouring over to see if those revisions had been, you know, made correctly. And I started to feel terrified (laughs) of the book finally being finished and printed and published. And I didn't want to bring that feeling of apprehension into the studio. So I sort of put up a little bit of a wall for a little while between the book and me. And I'm really grateful that I did because In some ways, it was a matter of meeting the book again and discovering it on its terms. Well, this recording took several days. And so after the first day, I learned I should bring an apple into the studio because no matter how well-fed you are, your stomach is going to be growling and burbling and doing all these crazy things. And an apple can help silence that for a little while and also give your mouth a sense of zinginess that allows you to speak clearly. So that's a big tip that I learned. I think if my book didn't have pictures in it, I would have wanted and needed to bring some of the portraits of family members whom I write about. I listen to audiobooks upstairs in my son's bedroom. I have twin sons. They share a room. 
And often in the evening as we settle down, maybe I'll read to them for a little bit, but they always want to turn on somebody else's voice reading one of their favorite books. So that's become a kind of ritual for us. The last audiobook that I got to listen to all by myself in headphones, and I was actually on my treadmill for most of that book, is Imani Perry's beautiful book, South to America, A Journey Below the Mason-Dixon to Understand the Soul of a Nation. To hear that big, beautiful, vulnerable, searching, and incredibly instructive book in the beautiful voice of the author is a real gift. She makes the weight and the freight of the history that we know and don't remember about this nation feel like something I can face and claim and do something with. So that's a beautiful audio experience. And now, please listen to a clip from my audiobook. My father's older brothers, Robert and Melvin, are 19 and 17 years old, respectively, in 1940. Both are described in the census as laborers working 40-hour weeks. The highest grade either has completed in school is seventh. Perhaps they are needed at home on the farm. Maybe the money they can bring in at jobs is essential to making ends meet in a large household. Hi, this is Leslie-Ann Noel, author of Design Social Change. I was inspired by the work of Paulo Freire when I wrote this book. And also I was inspired by the idea of cooking, which you'll hear in the book. And so the backstory is that I did some work with children based on the work of Paulo Freire, where these children had to critique the world imagine the world that they wanted, and then try to draw the things that they wanted. That idea is not my own idea. It's a research framework called Critical Utopian Action Research. And I was trying to think, how could I bring Critical Utopian Action Research, which is this geeky theory of change, how could I bring this to people in a really accessible way? And that's kind of how I landed on cooking, because over the years, I've just seen how people resonate with that idea of food. And I thought, okay, well, maybe we could just put together these ingredients. And in my book, I could be showing people the ingredients and the methods that they needed to make social change. And I was basing this on the work of Paulo Freire. So like I could show them methods of Paulo Freire, but using language of cooking. I want people to feel empowered to try things out after the book. So the same way that you might read a cookbook that's really beautiful, and then after you might say, oh, well, I'm going to try this chicken recipe. It mightn't be exactly like it is in the book. I shared an early version of the book with a relative of mine to help me with the proofreading. And it was so interesting. She wrote me back. I was expecting her to give me feedback on grammar or stuff like that. And she wrote me back and she said, I'm going to work with some children in the school next to my house so that I could get them to think about change, right? So she was immediately thinking of action. And that's what I'm thinking of, that people are going to read the book and then think of something that they 
can do to inspire other people or themselves to make change. I can't describe recording this audiobook in one word because there's so many words in my mind. I started to write down and I thought it was so difficult <laughs> because, you know, my mouth was drier than I expected it to be. I was out of breath. And I guess at the start of the book, I was a little bit nervous and maybe not very relaxed and uh, you know, all of that just made it very difficult at the start. But it took us a day. And as the day went on, I got more and more comfortable. So no one way to describe the book. I just told you the whole process. <laughs> I realized I had trouble, maybe not trouble, but there are some words that I use two different pronunciations for. You know, like there's the English and the American pronunciation, and I use both. So I used both schedule and schedule as I was reading the book and then had to redo and pick one, or era and era. And then the strangest thing was prototype. <laughs> Instead of prototype, I kept saying prototype. So there were some bloopers along the way. I really enjoyed writing the introduction, so I'm excited that people will hear the introduction where they hear more about that backstory, about cooking. I loved talking about food, like I talk about Tobagonian food, crab and dumpling. I like that I'm letting people in on where the book started, you know, around cooking. And then I also really liked talking about my identities and then nudging people to think about their own identities. So if I didn't read my audiobook, my dream narrator would definitely have been Trinidadian. And I have three names. I think Lorraine Toussaint has a fantastic voice. You know, because she's from Trinidad, she would understand and be able to relate with some of the images that I talk about in the book. And then another Trinidadian, Heather Headley, also, of course, has a wonderful voice. And then the third Trinidadian, who is kind of unconventional, <laughs> Nikki Minaj is from Trinidad. And I think it could have been interesting to see how she would have read it. And she's actually from close to one of the areas that I talk about in the book. So maybe she would have read it with a very special voice. If I had to record this again... I would bring some lozenges or hard candy into the studio with me. I brought a lot of water and that was good, but I think that the candy would have helped me. And then another thing, not that I would have brought it, I sat to read and I would have stood. And maybe that might have relaxed me a little bit more. The audiobook that has really stuck with me over time is Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. It was actually the first audiobook that I listened to. And at that time, I used to work in a ceramic studio by myself. So I'd be working alone with my headphones on. And I believe that she narrated it. But the narrator's voice was so amazing. And then the stories that she told were very familiar to me. I'm not Nigerian, but the way she talked about 
life of this Nigerian American family. You know, they really resonated with me. So that's the audiobook that has stuck with me over time. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is in the car while I'm driving on long road trips by myself. Every now and again, I have to work in another city and I'll have long drives, two-hour drives, three-hour drives, and no one else is in the car. And then I really can get into the book while I'm really kind of doing nothing, right? But I also love listening to audiobooks while I am weirdly washing the dishes. <laughs> it's something about the water and the repetitive motion of washing dishes that maybe transports me to somewhere else and the audiobook as well takes me to another place. So slightly repetitive tasks while I'm listening to audiobooks. And now, please enjoy a clip from my audiobook. If I give you flour and water and ask you to make something by adding a few more ingredients, chances are that what you make will be different from what I make. I am from Trinidad and Tobago, and with those base ingredients, I might make either bake, a type of bread with no yeast, or boiled dumplings. Depending on where you are from or the ingredients that you have on hand, you might make pizza, festival, chapatis, mandazis, sonios, or even glue. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening. For more behind-the-mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com slash nextlisten.